You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. And it is now time for our new segment looking into local body politics. Uh, 2022 local body elections are happening this October, and over the next nine weeks, we're going to be exploring the ins and outs of local politics here on the Tuesday R1 News Show. For our first instalment, we're going to break down the background to this election. Professor Janine Hayward from the University of Otago Department of Politics is joining us now to talk about the local electoral system and how local government works. Kia ora, Janine. Kia ora. How's it going? Good, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I am delighted that you are running this segment for the next nine weeks. Thanks for coming on. So to start off with, we're going to give you such a basic question. Can you just tell us what local government actually is? Sure. (laughs) So local government, uh, there are across the country 1,600 different people who get elected to help run politics at a more local level than central government does. So it would be a bad idea to make central government, um, put central government in charge of decisions that are quite particular to regions and particularly to cities. So instead we have a second layer of um, government, local government, and we elect people to that to help us out with some of that decision-making. So what are some things that are actually the responsibility of central government but people expect local governments to be able to change and get confused about when it comes to voting? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I think one of the main things is roads. So people get quite upset. There is a difference about who controls and is responsible for which type of roads. So central government controls all of our state, you know, the big roading, but it's our regional councils that control the roading within our communities. And, you know, bizarrely, that's one of the things that people quite often misunderstand and they'll make a complaint about central government not doing this or the regional council not doing that, not understanding whose job it is. Right, and so on the flip side, what are some things that are surprisingly in the control of local governments and not central? Well, you know, I think that's one of the really interesting debates. Local government would like to be in control of a lot more than it is Mm -hmm. because, you know, one of their arguments is that they know their communities well and they're far more responsive to the challenges that local communities face. And I think climate change is a really good example of that. So there are a lot of issues going on in communities with trying to future-proof some of our... um, you know, different areas of housing. And local governments are currently a little bit limited in what they can do because a lot of the decision-making still has to come from central government. So there's a lot of politics around the separation of power. Um, Basically, local government can only do what central government has told it it can, and it can just as easily whip that power away if it chooses to. And we've seen that played out recently with the three waters. So central government has decided to change the way that the water infrastructure is managed, and that's caused huge debates because local governments don't want, you know, a lot of them don't want to relinquish that power, and central government's arguing that it can do a better job if that's centralised and um, operated differently and funded resource differently as well. So there's heaps of politics involved, not surprisingly, in that separation of powers. Right, and there are also um, further layers between the separation of local and central government. Could you explain the difference between city, regional and district councils? Yeah, sure. So there's basically, there's kind of two main um, differences. So there's regional councils, um, and, and, you know, an example of that is the Otago Regional Council. 
So we've got 11 regional councils across New Zealand and they basically do um, all the big scale resource stuff. So they're in charge of land management in their areas, pest control, um, flood control, transport, as I said before, and harbours. And those are really big. Like the Otago Regional, Regional Council is a massive area. And then you have at a next level down, you know, slightly smaller um, areas and more of them, you've got what are either called um, district or um, city councils kind of the same thing, but ones that are involved incorporate a city, like Dunedin City's ca- City Council, are called City Councils. So there's 11 of those, and there are 50 of these district councils that sort of cover a whole bunch of little towns in an area. So the role of those, that other layer of government, those um, city and district councils, is more about people than it is about major resources. So they do a lot of the civil defence stuff, they do a lot of our building controls, so some of the resource things... They're about planning for how we use our land. They've got a 10-year plan to talk about what our areas are going to look like. Um, They do a lot of the environmental safety and health infrastructure, water at the moment, sewerage, um, stormwater and that kind of stuff. So we often see and engage with, you know, both of those layers, but often the people side of it is more that city council, which is probably why we hear more about our Dunedin City Council in um, news and its decisions than we do the Regional Council. Mm-hmm. And so who can vote for those different councils and what are we actually voting for when we do? So um, if you can vote in general elections, so if you're a registered New Zealand voter, if you're older than 18, if you've lived in New Zealand um, for more than a year continuously and are a citizen or a permanent resident, you can vote in your local elections as well. So the weirdly... There still seems to be um, a bit of a myth that local governments are for ratepayers. So I know a lot of young people think, well, I don't own a home, I don't pay rates, so it doesn't really matter to me. It absolutely does. So if you're a voter, you can vote in the local government elections coming up. And um, where you're registered to vote will determine which of those elections you vote in. So if you've changed your address details um, on the elections website to Dunedin, you can vote in the Dunedin City Council elections, and you absolutely should. So we know when we talk to student voters, they often feel they're just here sort of um, transitioning through Dunedin. They're only here for a few years, and they don't really want to bind other students to their preference of councillor. You know, my message would be, go right ahead. I mean, you're speaking for a very large constituency in Dunedin. It's, you know, upwards of 20,000 voters, a big proportion of the population and not very good at voting in local government. So if you change your address details, you can vote here if you fit all the other criteria, and you absolutely should. Cool. So a bit more specifically about the method of voting, the Mm. Dunedin City uses a single transferable voting system. Could you tell us a bit about how that works and how it's different from the the first-past-the-post system, which is used for the Otago Regional Council? Sure. So... um, Before the early 2000s, all local government used the the first-past-the-post electoral system. So that's the system that we use when we vote for our electorate MPs, where you simply, you know, tick who you want to support and the person with the most votes wins. Now, when you're voting for one person, that kind of works reasonably well, although you can still have someone with a minority win. But, it, it, you know, we kind of live with that. In local government elections, we often are voting multiple candidates 
inner ward, which is like a little electorate. And when you do that with first past the post, it's not a very it, it, it's a very bad way of um, electing people in the sense that um, what the community actually wants doesn't get translated well into who gets elected. So we know when we look at what happens with first past the post voting that it's probably one of the worst systems you could use for local government elections like we have. So what the government did in early 2000 was introduce an option for governments to use a proportional system instead, which is called STV. And it was designed specifically to overcome the problems that first-past-the-post creates in voting in those kinds of elections. So you basically, with STV, you're only voting once, but you rank the candidates that you like. So I won't get into the details of how it works, but it basically means that when you look at the way people voted and you look at who gets elected, it's a pretty close um, reflection of what people's preferences were. So we know that in first-past-the-post elections, the vast majority of voters can sometimes not help to elect anyone and disagree with who got elected. That doesn't happen under STV. So generally speaking, you start to find that um, the councils will better reflect whoever it was, the diversity of people standing for election, because the proportionality of that system helps to ensure that it reflects the way people voted. So it's a good thing that Dunedin uses STV, um, and it's a pity, frankly, that the Otago Regional Council still hasn't um, made that change. Right, yeah. So has it been a slow transition across the country for people move, or councils moving to STV? Yes, it has. And particularly because, you know, unwisely, I think, the government left it to councils to decide that for themselves. Um, and, you know, elected representatives aren't famous for changing <laughs> the way that they got voted in in case it doesn't work for them next time. So, you know, we know that elected representatives usually don't change their electoral systems, and we've seen that. So councils have tended to stick with the status quo um, unless their communities have forced them to change by a poll, or, or they have, in many cases also, decided to make this change because they're under increasing pressure from their communities to do that. So what we've seen is, I mean, the number of councils using STV still isn't huge. There's probably um, maybe a dozen, 15 of them this election, but it's some of the really big councils. Um, So Hamilton and Tauranga have changed, Nelson's changed, Palmerston North's changed. So we're, we're seeing some of those large councils changing. So the number of people voting using STV is increasing each election, even if there's still an awful lot of councils that are still using first past the post. Mm-hmm. And looking at elections more generally, why is it that voter turnout is so much lower for local government than central government elections? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we struggle with voter turnout even in central government elections now, national elections. And we know that what what increases turnout um, is when elections are really high profile, when there's a really big issue at stake, when there's heaps of media coverage when there's a real um, kind of clash of maybe people or opinions on a particular issue, um, and when the choices are pretty obvious for voters, and it's not a huge effort for them to think about it. So if you think about all of those ingredients, um, not many of them are true of local government elections. So, you know, October 8th is going to roll around when we'll be voting in these elections, we will talk generally about there being local government elections, but there's not really national coverage of those elections, if you get what I mean, because they're all different races. 
So one of the highest turnouts we ever got was when the Auckland Council had just been created. And we heard so much about it in the news that people were aware of the fact that there was an election coming up and it boosted turnout. Um, so for local elections, we really rely on local news media to do what they can to raise the profile of the election. And you hope that there is something going on, like an issue in a community or a personality that kind of catches people's attention that can really um, draw attention to the fact that this event is coming up and that people you know, are motivated to engage in it and feel like they can make a difference by casting their vote. And I guess the other thing that sometimes voters say they find more challenging about local elections is that parties aren't involved. So you've really got to try and work out what all these individual people are standing for. And often when you read the blurbs about them in the um, candidate booklet, they talk about how much they love the region and how they've grown up here and how many cats they've got, which isn't terribly helpful in terms of trying to anticipate what kinds of decisions they're going to make. So all of those things mean that it's harder for voters to get engaged. But having said that, we've still got pretty good turnout compared to other countries um, for local elections. And I think, you know, this increasing effort uh, being made and engagement by younger people um, because of some of the challenges that are coming up, you know, coming back to climate change. Some of these are obviously challenges we're going to confront and local government obviously has a role to play and that's kind of increasing our interest and attention on some of those issues. Right, so my last question this morning is, in your view, what are some of the key things to be aware of while engaging in local politics and what should we be looking for before voting this October? Well, you know, I hope that um, some some candidates will run who are clearly trying to represent the student community in Dunedin because we've, n- we've never really had a great deal of that in Dunedin. And there are an awful lot of issues in this city that we should be thinking about and engaging with in terms of the connection between the university and the council and student life and, you know, the rest of the city. Um, and, it, you know, using STV, you only need about 6,000 votes to support you out of 100,000. And the student community is really big. It's about 20,000, potentially, 20,000 voters. So we could easily see a couple of really good candidates who have campaigned on the basis of taking a a student or university voice to council, um, which would be tremendous. Other than that, I think it's just really important to ask all of the candidates, you know, get them on campus, ask them what their views are on particular issues that are of concern to students and to um, that generation. And, you know, it's just that good old-fashioned accountability to listen to what they're going to say and make your choices uh, based on, on what you hear them talk about when they're campaigning. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.